enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. Hello, everyone. It's great to be with you again. We have a long one today, folks. The recent Republican primary debate was two hours long, and parsing took a, took a while. We'll jump right into the highlights in a moment, but first some news and updates. The first item today is some Senate drama. How refreshing. If you are not aware of this issue, Senate confirmation hearings for appointments of senior military leaders has been held hostage for months by Alabama Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville. His bone of contention is a current Pentagon policy put in place by Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, where the government would fund interstate travel for service members seeking an abortion but stationed in a state where the procedure is illegal. The overturn of Roe v. Wade this year has led to several states banning or restricting abortion, with as many as 24 expected to ban or restrict it, according to the Guttmacher Institute, an abortion rights organization. Tuberville says he won't accept amendments to the current policy to release the holds, nor has he introduced his own bill to overturn it. He insists Democrats introduce that legislation and vote on it, saying, move it back, and then have them write up what they want to vote on, and I will accept whichever way it goes. The holds are off. Let's go to work. Military nominations have traditionally been a rare moment of bipartisanship in the Senate, with the nominations grouped together for a one-voice vote. To hold a roll-call vote for every nominee individually would take months, time that legislators simply don't have. Per the Senate rules, a single senator can hold a nomination or piece of legislation, and Tuberville is using that to keep over 300 nominations in limbo. This has left several top positions vacant and increasing concern about the impending retirement of Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Miley, at the end of the month. This has a cascade effect down the ranks as well with several levels of leadership not advancing and potentially making them question their continued service as worthwhile. In a September 4th Washington Post op-ed, the Secretaries of the Army, Navy, and Air Force suggested that the future generals and admirals, now colonels and captains, are watching this spectacle and might conclude that their service at the highest ranks of our military is no longer valued by members of Congress or, by extension, the American public. There was some relief this week as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer forced a full vote on three key officials. Air Force General C.Q. Brown was confirmed to be the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Randy George was confirmed as Army Chief of Staff, and General Eric Smith confirmed as the Commandant of the Marine Corps. Schumer said he was left with no choice but to force the vote, saying of the nominees on hold, quote, Senator Tuberville is using them as pawns. Tuberville seems undeterred, almost pleased with himself, saying of Schumer and the Democrats, we called them out and they blinked. Moving on to this year's budget crisis, there has been some activity. Four bills are headed to the floor for a vote after being included in House Resolution 723 that passed 209 to 198. This is just a step. It just means that they get to have their day in court, as it were, to be debated and vote on. It is curious that Texas Representative Chip Roy, not just a member of the House Freedom Caucus, but their policy chair, is the sponsor of the resolution. The HFC has been the antagonist through this whole episode, and now they want to bring bills to the floor? What are they up to? The bills in question are H.R. 4365 for the Department of Defense, H.R. 4367 for the Department of Homeland Security, H.R. 4368 for Agriculture, Rural Development, Food and Drug Administration, and related agencies. H.R. 4665 for the Department of State, Foreign Operations, and Related Programs. I perused the bills, and there are some rather juvenile attempts to settle scores on the amendments put forward. 
Some examples in the Department of Defense bill are Lauren Boebert's attempts to reduce the salaries of two people to one dollar. She tried the same trick in the Homeland Security bill, this time targeting four people for the one dollar salary. Her HFC Confederate Andy Biggs thinks one dollar is too much. He wants six people in DHS to get no funding at all. Marjorie Taylor Greene found it in her heart to only reduce Senator Mayorkas's pay to one dollar. Bobert popped up again in the agriculture bill with that same $1 salary trick. Whether they will pass or not remains to be seen. Some GOP members are already grumbling about things like Ukraine funding and the defense bill, and there are funding disputes regarding homeland security and agriculture. Even if all four pass, they will still have to pass in the Senate. The resolution passed with no Democratic votes, supporting the idea that the language is very partisan. This means they will likely have a tough time in the Senate. Let us not forget that there are still seven other bills waiting to go to the floor of the House. The chances of avoiding a shutdown of some length are nigh or impossible. Strap in. Federal agencies have been preparing in the lead-up. Guidance has been getting filtered down and preparations made for closing down shop. What's that going to look like for the federal workers? In a Federal News Network review of the publicly available federal agency plans for a potential shutdown, around 65% would be exempt from furloughs or accepted. This means they would report to work, but whether they will be paid varies. Exempt personnel work for an agency that is funded via a different stream of money that is not contained within the budget being contested. This represents about 37% of the federal workforce. Social Security is an example. It's funded by specific law, not annual discretionary spending. Unless impacted by some secondary factor, these people should be working and paid as normal. Accepted people are funded by this annual budget and will not be paid, but will still be expected to report for work. This categorization may reflect a guiding law that applies to the positions, or it is deemed a critical position for some reason. We'll find out Monday how things went. Now let's get to that debate. The debate was held at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California, and hosted by Fox Business, Univision, and Rumble. After the lead-in and introductions, the moderators got the ball rolling with some quick stats for the candidates. Voters say they dread the 2024 election and find politics exhausting. Two in three Americans think the country is on the wrong track. And three in four say they, the economy is not in good shape. Prices are up 18% since 2020. More than half of the U.S. population has little access to childcare. 85% of Americans say their personal finances are a source of stress. The first to go was Tim Scott. The moderator reminded Senator Scott of how he praised Ronald Reagan for firing striking air traffic controllers in the 80s and was asked if he would fire the auto workers now. He explained that a president cannot fire private sector workers, but his complaint was... One of the challenges that we have in the current negotiations is that they want four-day French work weeks, but more money. They want more benefits, working fewer hours. That is simply not going to stand. When asked if he's empathized with the striking auto workers, Vivek Ramaswamy shared a personal story about his father's layoff from General Electric and his mother having to work overtime to pay the bills. But on this subject, he added, So I understand that hardship is not a choice. But victimhood is a choice. Nikki Haley, when asked to comment, suggested that the people were on the picket line because of inflation and high prices. 
She had some suggestions about how the situation could be improved. Eliminate the gas and diesel tax so that they have more money in their pocket. Let's focus on, on going after middle America and cutting taxes for middle America and collapsing those brackets. Let's get rid of unfair distortions like the state and local tax that they give to wealthy people in, in blue states and not and paid by red states. And let's make sure we make the small business taxes permanent. They only made those temporary. They made the corporate taxes permanent. Let's focus on what it takes to get more cash in the pockets of workers. That's when we'll be able to deal with strikes like this, not sitting on a picket line like Joe Biden is. The moderator repeated a statement Mike Pence had made that the policies of Trump populist protégés like Mr. Ramaswamy are, quote, a road to ruin for the GOP, and asked Chris Christie if the government does shut down, if the blame should be directed at populist Republicans. He said, If the government shuts down, should voters blame populist Republicans? Voters should blame everybody who's in Washington, D.C. They get sent down there to do the job, and they've been failing at doing the job for a very long time. And let's be honest about this with the voters. You know, during the Trump administration, they added $7 trillion dollars. $7 trillion in national debt. And now the Biden administration has put another $5 trillion on and counting. They have failed and they're in the spot they're in now because none of them are willing to tell the truth. None of them are willing to take on the difficult issues. They just want to keep kicking the can down the road. And the inflation that Nikki spoke about is absolutely right and it's caused by government spending. And that's why people all across this country are suffering tonight. And yet we don't get any answers because Joe Biden hides in his basement and won't answer as to why he's raising the debt the way he's done. And Donald Trump he hides behind the walls of his golf clubs and won't show up here to answer questions like all the rest of us are up here to answer. He put $7 trillion on the debt. He should be in this room to answer those questions for the people you talk about who are Can suffering. And if, the government, and if the government closes, and if the government closes, it's the blame, it is to the blame of everyone in Washington, D.C., who has failed to do their job and just plays to the grandstand. The candidates quickly scrambled to throw in their takes, with Ron DeSantis getting a shot. He accused people in Washington of shutting down the American dream and offered up his resume. This is Governor of Florida. We cut taxes. We ran surpluses. We paid down over 25% of our state debt. And I vetoed wasteful spending when it came to my desk. And as your president, when they send me a bloating spending bill that's going to cause your prices to go up, I'm going to take out this veto pen and I'm going to send it right back to them. Later on, Chris Christie was challenged on some inconsistencies on his illegal immigration policies. Governor Christie, as governor of a non-border state in 2010, you supported a path to citizenship. But when you ran for president in 2016, you flipped, saying immigrants should be tracked like FedEx packages. Where do you stand now on a path to citizenship for 11 million of undocumented immigrants. Well, the problem is that since no one has done anything since we first had this discussion 13 years ago, we're not in a position to be able to do any of that anymore. What we have to do now is first treat this like the law enforcement problem it is. Our laws are being broken every day at the southern border, every day. And Joe Biden and his crew is doing nothing about enforcing that law. They are letting it go. And by the way, they announced during the presidential race they were going to let it go. And we need to have a, go a president who acts like I did as governor, enforce the law first and foremost. And that means 
What I'll do on day one is sign an executive order to send the National Guard to partner with Customs and Border Patrol to make sure that we stop the flow of fentanyl over the border, but also to make sure that we send a much different message. We want you here in this country to fill the six million vacant jobs we have, but only if you come here to follow the law and only if you come here legally. If you come here illegally, we will apprehend you and we will send you back across the border from which you came. And the fact is that until we set a law and order agenda in this country, not only now, but in the future, we won't, we won't be able to continue. Staying on the immigration topic, Nikki Haley was asked if the $55 billion spent in the last decade to address the root causes of migration, with numbers only growing, if we were just wasting our money. She responded, Well, what happens is when Joe Biden waved the green flag, it told everybody to come. And now we've seen six million people cross the border. We've had more fentanyl that have killed Americans in the Iraq, Vietnam, or Afghanistan wars combined, we need to make sure that we are a country of laws. The second we stop being a country of laws, we give up everything this country was founded on. So we have to secure the border. The way we do that is, first of all, defund sanctuary cities. You see what's happening in Philadelphia right now. It's got to stop. We need to make sure we put 25,000 more Border Patrol and ICE agents on the ground and let them do their job. I spent 400 miles down that border, and I'm telling you, Border Patrol agents aren't allowed to do their job. Let's go back to remain in Mexico policy. Instead of catch and release, let's go to catch and deport. What about, and the, let's aid that we've been, what about the aid that federal taxpayers are paying to deal with the root causes? It's not working? The only it? aid that we should be spending right now is to secure the border, the southern border, the northern border, period. You would cut we off need to, to keep Americans safe, and right now Americans are not safe. Only when we fix the immigration system, only when we get the border secure, should we ever look at putting any more money into this. Our money should be about keeping Americans safe. We're not doing that. Joe Biden's not doing that. And you mentioned Congress and, and shutting down government. I'll make it clear. We have to change the budget process in four years, in 40 years. Congress has only delivered a budget on time four times in 40 years. Right. If they don't keep the government open, they should not get paid. No pay, no budget. The moderator challenged Ron DeSantis with the following question. China invested $12 billion in Latin America just last year. They signed strategic partnerships with seven countries, including Mexico. And China's military ties to the region now include arms sales and training exercises. Are you comfortable with China deepening ties with our southern neighbors? Of course not. And the reason why we're in this mess is because elites in D.C. for far too long have chosen surrender over strength when it comes to the CCP. Some people in our country got rich, our industrial base got hollowed out, and they have been able to build the second most powerful military in the entire world. We need a totally new approach to China. We are going to have real hard power in the Indo-Pacific, like Reagan, to deter their ambitions. We're going to have economic independence from China, where we're decoupling our economy, and we are going to go after the cultural power they have in this country. As governor of Florida, I banned the CCP from buying land in our state. We should do that all across these United States. We shouldn't have them in our universities. When challenged on his controversial plan to deport not just illegal immigrants, but also their children, considered birthright citizen based on them being born on American soil, Vivek did not back down. I favor ending birthright citizenship for the kids of illegal immigrants in this country. Now the left will howl about the Constitution and the 14th Amendment. The difference between me and them is I've actually read the 14th Amendment. 
What it says is that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the laws and jurisdiction thereof are citizens. So nobody believes that the kid of a Mexican diplomat in this country enjoys birthright citizenship. Not a judge or legal scholar in this country will disagree with me on that. Well, if the kid of a Mexican diplomat doesn't enjoy birthright citizenship, then neither does the kid of an illegal migrant who broke the law to come here. When asked to comment on Mr. Ramaswamy's plan and how the 14th Amendment related to slavery, Tim Scott confirmed it did and not illegal immigration but then took the opening to fire one of the first personal shots on the stage that night. We think about the fact that Vivek just said we were all good people, and I appreciate that because last debate, he said we were all bought and paid for. And I thought about that for a little while and said, you know, I can't imagine how you could say that knowing that you were just in business with the Chinese Communist Party and the same people that funded... Hunter Biden, millions of dollars, was a partner this of yours as well. That's not nonsense. So look, I want to respond. These, these are good people who are tainted by a broken system. And it's not the fault I, I think of anybody who's involved. Some of us are tainted. Excuse, tainted excuse, me, excuse, me, excuse me. Thank you for speaking while I'm interrupting. Literally. While I'm speaking. Well, you said bottom people. If I may finish. You can't be on both sides. Gentlemen, you'll have your turn. One of the challenges is that we should have a debate between the faith and the this in China. May, Everybody knows that. If I may, if Let's I may focus address, on holding Joe Biden accountable. That's what we need to be I actually agree on. with Ron DeSantis. Well, everybody speaking at the same time, I, no one can understand Exactly. So if I may, I agree with Ron DeSantis on China. When every other CEO expanded into the Chinese market, you know what I did with my first company? We opened a subsidiary in China. But you know what I did that was different than every other company? We got the hell out of there. And when I started my yeah, next right company, Strive, right when I started that years ago, right when I started my next company, Strive, to compete against BlackRock, excuse me, no, no. to compete against BlackRock, I made a commitment that we would never do business in China. And I will say something. Yes. I think you have more than time to explain your point. Well, if I, I was interrupted by a lot of people here, and I want to be respectful because I believe these were respectful last bit. But I do not believe in these. We're sitting here in the Reagan Library. Yes, I wish you would do that. In the honor of Ronald Reagan's library, if I may admit, well, from one, Tim, from one admirer of Ronald Reagan to another, from one admirer of Reagan to another, we cannot see violence. This is unproductive. Let's have a policy Rising crime and the failure of some district attorneys to prosecute that crime was posed to Chris Christie, a former federal prosecutor himself, and asked what he would do about it. Progressive prosecutors were elected by their constituents and they can't be fired by a president. So what would you do to end the revolving door of criminality? Well, look, Dana, I'm the only one on this stage who's done it. For seven years, I ran the fifth largest office in this country. Um, uh, at the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Jersey, and we set records for the number of prosecutions that we brought that still have not been broken. And the reason was that we went after the crime that was affecting people's lives. And as president, I will appoint an attorney general and instruct that attorney general that you are to put all the resources that are necessary to bring our cities back under control. The fact is, they will be stretched. There's no doubt about that, but that's what they take the job for, because they love the idea of enforcing the law. We've got to bring law and order back to this country, and not just in our cities. 
but we need the law and order back everywhere. We need law and order back in our suburbs. People are threatened there. We need it in our rural areas. People feel threatened there. And we need it in Washington, D.C. also. And Donald Trump should be here to answer for that, but he's not. And I want to look at that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching, okay? And you're not here tonight not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. The moderator then offered Ron DeSantis an opportunity to give his plan. In Florida, we back the blue. We support the men and women of law enforcement. They are keeping us safe. We have a 50-year low in the crime rate. And yes, when I had two progressive prosecutors that weren't following the law in Florida, I removed them from their post, and the people of Florida are safer as a result of it. As president, I will use the Justice Department to bring civil rights cases against all of those left-wing Soros-funded prosecutors. We're not going to let them get away with it anymore. We want to reverse this country's decline. We need to choose law and order over rioting and disorder. Mr. Ramaswamy was given the chance to detail his plans to deal with the trafficking of fentanyl into the United States. Mr. Ramaswamy, according to Customs and Border Protection, about 90% of fentanyl is seized at official border crossings, and 57% of the smugglers are U.S. citizens. How would you stop fentanyl brought into the country, mostly by U.S. citizens, through ports of entry? There's two sides to this, and we have to be very honest about it. One is we do have to seal that southern border. Building the wall is not enough. They're building cartel-financed tunnels underneath that wall. Semi-trucks can drive through them. We have to use our own military to seal the Swiss cheese of a southern border. But we also have to be honest. There's a demand-side problem in this country, too. A mental health epidemic. He continued. We have to bring back mental health care in this country. Not with pumping pharmaceuticals, but with faith-based approaches that restore purpose and meaning in the next generation of Americans. Many of them are getting it through social media. And this isn't a Republican point or a Democrat point. But if you're 16 years old or under, you should not be using an addictive social media product, period. When asked if and how he would repeal Obamacare as president when the Trump administration didn't, Mike Pence responded. It's my intention to make the federal government smaller by returning to the states those resources and programs that are rightfully theirs under the 10th Amendment of the Constitution. That means all Obamacare funding, all housing funding, all HHS funding, all of it goes back to the states. We'll shut down the Federal Department of Education. We'll allow states to right. innovate. We're going to revive federalism in America, and states are going to help bring America back. When questioned on health care and why his state of Florida has a lower number of insured people than the national average, Ron DeSantis replied, Our health care is putting patients at the back of the bus. We have big pharma, big insurance, and big government, and we need to tackle that and have more power for the people and the doctor-patient relationship. Governor, why is your record in Florida on insurance worse than the national average? Uh, our, our state's a dynamic state. We've got, we've got a lot of uh, folks that come, of course. We've had a population boom. We also don't have uh, a lot of welfare benefits in Florida. You know, we're basically saying we want to, this is a field of dreams. You can do well in the state, but we're not going to be like California and have massive numbers of 
people um, on government programs without work requirements. We believe you work and you gotta do that, and so that goes for all the welfare benefits. And you know what that's done, Stuart? Our unemployment rate is the lowest amongst any big state. We have the highest GDP growth amongst any big state, and even CNBC, no fan of mine, ranked Florida the number one economy in America. The subject of health care costs were introduced, and the statistics that two-thirds of personal bankruptcy were driven by medical costs were stated. Ms. Haley was asked to provide her solution. When I am president, we will break all of it, from the insurance company to the hospitals to the doctor's offices to the PBMs to the pharmaceutical companies. We will make it all transparent because when you do that, you will realize that's what the problem is. Second thing is you've got to deal with tort law. The lawyer, the doctors don't give you the 10 tests because they want to. It's because of the 90% chance they'll get sued. And then we need to bring competition back to health care, get rid of certificate of need systems, and make sure that they can compete. We have to put the patient in the driver's seat. They've been in the back seat for way too long. And once we give the patient the ability to decide their health care, deciding which plan they want, that is when we will see magic happen. She was later asked to provide her plans for improving American education. You say school choice is the answer, but South Carolina, your home state, still has not enacted universal school choice, and even the current expansion won't be fully implemented until 2027. Parents can't wait four years for a fix, so what would you do right now? Well, and school choice isn't the only answer, but I'll tell you it's not out of a lack of trying that we didn't try and get school choice in South Carolina. What I'll tell you, first of all, is we have to acknowledge the fact that 67% of our 8th graders are not proficient in reading or math. Over 80% of our 8th graders aren't proficient in history or civics. And recently they came out and said our 12 and 13 year olds are scoring at the lowest levels they've been scoring in reading and math in decades. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to make sure we catch our kids back up. We have to make sure they can read. A child that can't read by third grade is four times less likely to graduate high school. We need to do reading remediation. We need complete transparency in the classroom. No parent should ever wonder what's being said or taught to their child in the classroom. We need to make sure that we have school choice so that there's competition. We need to move all the programs from the federal government down to the state and let states decide what education looks like in their states. Right. And we need to start building things in America again. Let's put vocational classes back in our high schools and let's get our kids building the things that we know that we can make. When we start to focus on that and really bring in that parental involvement, that's when we'll start to see a difference. But we've got to get parents back included. We've got to quit spending time on this DEI and CRT and instead focus on financial literacy, on digital literacy, and on making sure that our kids know what they need to do to have the jobs of the next generation. Ron DeSantis would later have to defend education in Florida. Florida's new black history curriculum says, quote, slaves develop skills which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. You have said slaves develop skills in spite of slavery, not because of it. But many are still hurt. For the sentence of slaves, this is personal. What is your message to them? So first of all, that's a hoax that was perpetrated by Kamala Harris. Uh, we are not going to be doing that. Second of all, that was written by descendants of slaves. These are great black history scholars, so we need to stop playing these games. Here's the deal. 
our country's education system is in decline because it's focused on indoctrination, denying parents' rights. Florida represents the revival of American education. We're ranked number one in the nation in education by U.S. News and World Report. My wife and I, we have a six, five, and three-year-old. This is personal to us. We didn't just talk about universal school choice. We enacted universal school choice. We didn't just talk about parents' bill of rights. We enacted the parents' bill of rights. We eliminated critical race theory, and we now have American civics in the Constitution in our schools in a really big way, just like President Reagan asked for in his farewell address back in 1989. Florida is showing how it's done. We're standing with parents, and our kids are benefiting. Transgender issues in schools were brought up, and Mr. Ramaswamy was given a chance to share his ideas. He came in hot. Over 10.7 million students in over 18,000 public schools nationwide have the ability to change their identity for notification. Governor Christie told Stewart last week that he would pass a federal law to protect parental rights. Would you try to do the same? I have to be very clear about this. Transgenderism, especially in kids, is a mental health disorder. We have to acknowledge the truth of that for what it is. I met two young women early in this campaign. On parental rights in school. Parents have the right to know. And you know what the hypocrisy of this is? Even New Hampshire failed to actually get past a piece of legislation here. The very people who say that this increases the risk of suicide are also the ones saying that parents don't have the right to know about that increased risk of suicide. And I'm sorry, it is not compassionate to affirm a kid's confusion. That is not compassion, that is cruelty. I met two young women, Chloe and Katie, early in this campaign who are in their 20s now regret getting double mastectomies and a hysterectomy. One of them will never have children. And the fact that we allowed that to happen in this country is barbaric. So I will ban genital mutilation or chemical okay, castration under the age of 18. And parents in, in, have absolutely the right. Would you try to pass a federal law that says parents should have that right? We are going to require yes. states absolutely okay. have to then follow that through. Mike Pence also had something to say on the issue. And as to your question, Dana, let's, let's be very, very clear. Um, when, when the Linmar Community Schools in Iowa had a policy where you could, you had to have a permission slip from your parents to get a Tylenol, but you could get a gender transition plan without notifying your parents, I weighed in with a foundation. That's not bad policy, that's crazy. We're gonna stand up for the rights of parents and we're gonna pass a federal ban on transgender chemical or surgical surgery anywhere in the country. We've got to protect our kids from this radical gender ideology agenda and we've got to empower parents at the state level with, with the ability to choose where their kids go to school, whether it's public, private, parochial, or homeschool, you empower parents and our schools will straighten up and reflect our values and focus on the basics faster than you could possibly imagine. Chris Christie, channeling John Connor, was asked how he would defend American workers from robots. Governor Christie, I wanted to follow up on this because 22% of American workers fear their jobs will be lost to a robot. And you said in the past that you, the free market is the way to go. Would you retrain workers who lose a job to artificial intelligence and to do what? Well, look, what I think artificial intelligence offers us is an extraordinary opportunity to expand well beyond the productivity that we have now and to have Americans be able to involve, be involved in that revolution, Dana. You know, each time we have shown incredible innovation and progress in this country, 
What we've done with it is to expand all kinds of new, even unthought of opportunities for folks. Yes, we have to do retraining for folks who lose some of their jobs, and we should be doing that. And we should have more training available both at the county college level and the local level for people to be able to access it. So yes, I would be in favor of that. But this is a much bigger issue than that. We can't be afraid of innovation. America has been the great innovator of this world over the last 250 years, a technological innovator, a manufacturing innovator, and a freedom and governmental innovator. And that's why America has to continue to stand strong in the world, pro-innovation, pro-progress. And I will tell you this, as President of the United States, what I will do is to make sure that every innovator in this country gets the government the hell off its back and out of its pocket so that it can innovate and bring great new inventions to our country that will make everybody's lives better. Vivek Ramaswamy was then tasked to defend his use of TikTok. Yeah, you joined TikTok at the dinner with boxer and influencer Jake Paul. Should the Commander-in-Chief be so easily persuaded by an influencer? So the answer is I have a radical idea for the Republican Party. We need to win elections. And part of how we win elections is reaching the next generation of young Americans where they are. So when I get into office, I've been very clear. Kids under the age of social, under the age of 16, should not be using addictive social media. We're only going to ever get to declaring independence from China, which I favor, if we actually win. So while the Democrats are running rampant, reaching the next generation three to one, there's exactly one person in the Republican Party which talks a big game about reaching young people, and that's me. Ukraine finally made an appearance, with several candidates asked their opinions on the war and the American taxpayer dollars feeding it. Ron DeSantis was first. Today, the Republican Party is at odds over aid to Ukraine. The price tag so far is $76 billion. But is it in our best interest to degrade Russia's military for less than 5% of what we pay annually on defense, especially when there are no U.S. soldiers in the fight? It's in our interest to end this war, and that's what I will do as president. We are not going to have a blank check. We will not have U.S. troops. And we're going to make the Europeans do what they need to do. But they've sent money to pay uh, bureaucrats' pensions and salaries and funding small businesses halfway around the world. Meanwhile, our own country is being invaded. Uh, we don't even have control of our own territory. We have got to defend the American people before we even worry about all these other things. And I watch these guys in Washington, D.C., and they don't care about the American people. They don't care about the fentanyl deaths. They don't care about the communities being overrun because of this border. They don't care about the Mexican drug cartels. So as commander in chief, I will defend this country's sovereignty. But it's not a territorial dispute. It's never been a territorial dispute. And 90% of the resources that we send over to Ukraine is guaranteed as a loan. It is not at 90% of the money that we send over there is loan. Well, we can talk about this, but at the end of the day, 90% of the money that we send over there is actually We're in the form of loan. It's not actually not be paid by Ukraine, it's paid by the NATO, our NATO allies. So I think it's number a good one, topic. Two. I it's think a it's a really topic good topic to I will say, let's, t let's, let's debate the fact that our national vital interest is in degrading the Russian military. 
by degrading the Russian military, we actually keep our homeland safer, we keep our troops at home, and we all understand Article 5 of NATO. We have when to level that, with the American people. I thought you said Thank something you. about waiting until you return to talk. So, well, hold on. so at the end of the day, I'm going to finish my, I'll be happy to debate on this. I'll, I'll look forward to this one right now. Um, so at the end of the day, when you think about the fact that if you want to keep American troops at home, attack on NATO territory would bring us and our troops in. By degrading the Russian military, we reduce, if not eliminate, a ta an attack on NATO territory. Finish that exchange. We have to level with the American people. We have to level with the American people on this issue. The reality is, we just because just because Putin is not an e Putin's an evil dictator, does not mean that Ukraine is good. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. A win that has for Russia is a win for China. We're driving Russia. Excuse me, excuse me, you'll have a chance. You'll have your chance in just a moment. Yeah. The hurling personal assaults isn't helping. China is the real enemy, and we're driving Russia further into China's arms. We need a reasonable peace plan to end this, especially if this is a country whose president just last week Vivek, was hailing Ukraine that's a green light to China to take Taiwan. We need a peace comes through strength. Chris Christie was asked if perhaps we were focusing too much on Ukraine. Governor Christie, President Biden's first two years have brought China, Russia, and Iran closer together. Are we focused too much on Ukraine and not enough on this threat from the new world order? No, they're all connected, Stuart. They're all connected. The Chinese are paying for the Russian war in Ukraine. The Iranians are supplying more sophisticated weapons. And so are the North Koreans now as well with the encouragement of the Chinese. The naivete on this stage from some of these folks is extraordinary. Look, I understand people want to go and talk to Putin. Guess what? So did George W. Bush. So did Barack Obama. So did Donald Trump. And so did Joe Biden when he said a small invasion wouldn't be so bad. Every one of them has been wrong. And the fact of the matter is, we need to say right now that the Chinese-Russian alliance is something we have to fight against, and we are not going to solve it by going over and cuddling up to Vladimir Putin. Look, Donald Trump said Vladimir Putin was brilliant and a great leader. This is the person who is murdering people in his own country and now not having enough blood, he's now going to Ukraine to murder innocent civilians and kidnap 20,000 children. And let me tell you, if you think that's where it's gonna stop, if we give him any of Ukraine, next will be Poland. This is a guy who said, wait one sec, this is a guy in 1991 who said that was the darkest moment in world history when the Soviet Union fell. Listen everybody, he wants to put the old band back together and only America can stop it and when I'm president we will. Nikki Haley was asked to explain her plans to send American forces into Mexico, another sovereign nation, to combat drug cartels. You say you will send special operations to attack the cartels in Mexico. So, this means boots on the ground, drone strikes. It means special operations. It's how we deal with our terrorists. And what you need to do is understand that Mexico's not being a good partner if we lost 75,000 Americans last year. Mexico's not being a good partner if they're letting the cartels get away with what they're getting away with. What we will do is we will make sure that we send in our special operations and we will take out the cartels, we'll take out their operations, we'll take out anything that's doing it. But we're going to go after China because China is the one sending the fentanyl in the first place. And we will end all 
all normal trade relations until China stops sending fentanyl. And then we'll do the special operations and we'll get it from both sides. This is where President Trump went wrong. He focused on trade with China. He didn't focus on the fact that they were buying up our farmland. He didn't focus on the fact that they were killing Americans. He didn't focus on the fact that they were stealing $600 billion in intellectual property. He didn't focus on the fact that they put a spy base off our shores in Cuba. They didn't focus enough on the fact that all of our law enforcement drones in America are Chinese and we've got all these little surveillance cells. We need to start focusing on what keeps Americans safe. That hasn't happened in a long time. As your president, I will make sure every American is safe and we'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. Senator Scott was asked to interview for the position of president with the person who actually appointed him to the United States Senate, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Senator Scott, the national debt has nearly doubled in your time in office. The approval rate for Congress is at a mere 19 percent. If this were a business, you'd probably all be fired in Washington, but you're here tonight looking for a promotion. In 2013, Governor Haley hired you for the Senate. I'd like you to tell her why you should be promoted to CEO of the nation instead of her. Certainly. One of the things I'd say is if you look at our national debt of $33 trillion, I would love to have an opportunity to have this country pass a balanced budget amendment. That would constrain the spending in Washington in the same fashion that it does in every state in our nation, number one. Number two, if you want to actually reduce our national debt, you have to grow our economy. In order to grow our economy, you need to create about 10 million jobs to grow our economy at 5%. You can do that in three specific sectors. Number one, the energy sector. We could create between three and three and a half million jobs if we unleashed all of our energy resources. America is the most we're the richest country if you combine coal, gas, and oil. Why not unleash all of our resources? Number two, we've lost 100,000 factories, 100,000 factories in the last 25 years. If we continued on my Made in America plan, we could bring jobs back to America in a similar fashion that we did when I wrote the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We actually lowered the corporate tax from 35% to 21%, reshored or repatriated $1.7 trillion. We brought the unemployment rates for African Americans, Hispanics, and Asians to the lowest level in the history of the country and a 70 year low for women. Governor Haley, would you think you think you would I appreciate Tim. We've known each other a long time, but he's been there 12 years and he hasn't done any of that. He well, hasn't. They've only given four I, budgets well, on time in 40 years. He increased the national the debt. He voted for the spending. You voted he has for, made you, sure that the you borders are open and they haven't done anything. Look at everything in South Carolina. 12 years. Where have you been? Where have you been? On the heels of that interception, Mr. DeSantis was asked the following. Next year, abortion will likely be on the ballot in Arizona. That is a must-win state. 
Governor DeSantis, how are you going to win over independent pro-choice voters in Arizona? Same way we did in Florida. We won the greatest Republican victory in a governor's race in the history of the state, over 1.5 million votes. We were winning places like Miami-Dade County, Palm Beach, that nobody thought was possible uh, because we were leading with purpose and conviction. I reject this idea that pro-lifers are to blame for midterm defeats. I think there's other reasons for that. Uh, the former president, um, you know, he's missing in action tonight. He's had a lot to say about that. He should be here explaining his comments to try to say that pro-life protections are somehow a terrible thing. I want him to look into the eyes and tell people who've been fighting this fight for a long time. I was at, my wife and I uh, earlier today were at the gravesite of President Mrs. Reagan, and I noticed that um, there was a quote where it says, every single person has purpose and worth. We're better off when everybody counts. And I think we should stand for what we believe in. I think we should hold the Democrats accountable for their extremism, supporting abortion all the way up until the moment of birth. That is infanticide, and that is wrong. Let me ask Governor Christie. Governor Christie, do you think the Republicans... Okay, Governor Christie, do you think the Republicans can do that in Arizona if this referendum is on the ballot there? Yeah, because I did it in New Jersey, Dana. You know, it's... Then why are all these other states losing? Well, because they don't have leaders in those states who are leading the fight the way it should be led. And in fact, is look, I was the governor here of the only blue state that's represented up here. This is where the fight is really tough for Republicans. And those are the states that we're going to have to try to win if we're going to win the White House back. And what we did was 14 times, Dana, in eight years, I vetoed Planned Parenthood funding. 14 times. No one else gets it that much. The Democrats just kept sending it to me, and I kept saying no because I believe in life, but I also believe in states' rights. And I think we fought hard against Roe versus Wade for decades to say that states should make these decisions. So we're going to have those fights in the states. But what you need is a leader who can talk to people and make them understand that if you're pro-life, you have to be pro-life for the entire life, not just the nine months in the womb. And we talked a lot about fentanyl tonight, and we haven't spoken one moment about treatment. But we need to make sure that for the drug-addicted 16-year-old on the floor of the county lockup, her life is precious too. And we need to be providing treatment to cure this as a disease that it is. If you're pro-life, you gotta be pro-life for the entire life. We start talking like that, they're gonna do what I did in the blue state, which was get reelected with 61% of the vote and won 70% of independents and 51% of Latinos because I told them the truth from my heart. The final question was a bit of a curveball, and the candidates didn't seem to find it very entertaining. Candidates, it's now obvious that if you all stay in the race, former President Donald Trump wins the nomination. None of you have indicated that you're dropping out. So, which one of you on stage tonight should be voted off the island? Please use your marker to write your choice on the notepad in front of you. 15 seconds starting now. Of the people on the stage, who should be... I'm absolutely serious. With all due respect, I mean, we're here. Like, you know, we're happy to debate. I think that that's disrespectful to my fellow competitors. Nobody wants to participate. Let me ask you this one. Yeah. What is your mathematical path, yes. Governor DeSantis, in order to try to beat President Trump, who has a commanding and enduring lead in this race? So, 
polls don't elect presidents voters elect presidents and we're going to take the case of the people in these early states we're going to do in the state by state direction and why because as reagan said in his day this is our time for choosing we are not getting a mulligan on the 2024 election republicans have lost three straight elections in a row we were supposed to have a red wave with inflation at nine percent it crashed and burned not in florida it didn't we delivered it in florida and so we've got to choose right we've got to win and we need somebody that's going to be able to serve two terms so in january of 2023 they'll be able to address the nation saying we turned the economy around we secured the border and we fended off the threat from communist china as your president i will get that job uh, done governor christie i believe i did see you write something governor christie i believe excuse me and governor christie i believe i did see you write something on the card no no but i'll certainly tell you okay yeah. look i think i've been the only one on this stage who's been clear about this i vote donald trump off the island right now and the reason I vote him off the island, and there were, and, but, any of the, no, of the people no, on the stage, you know what? every person on this stage has shown the respect for Republican voters to come here to express their views honestly, candidly, and directly, and to take your questions honestly. I have respect for every man and woman on this stage because they've done it. Put your hand down for a second, would you? Um, I still got, I still got time, dude. So, so chill out. Um, here, look. This guy has not only divided our party, he's divided families all over this country. He's divided friends all over this country. I've spoken to people, and I know everyone else has, who have sat at Thanksgiving dinner or at a birthday party and can't have a conversation anymore if they disagree with Donald Trump. He needs to be voted off the island, and he needs to be taken out of this process. Can we get Vivek 15 seconds? 15 seconds. I have a different view on this. I think Trump was an excellent president, but the America First agenda does not belong to one man. It does not belong to Donald Trump. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you, the people of this country. And the question is who's gonna unite this country and take the America First agenda to the next level? When we rallied behind the cry to make America great again, we did not just hunger for a single man. We hungered for the unapologetic pursuit of excellence. So yes, I will, I will respect Donald Trump and his legacy because it's the right thing to do. But we will unite this country to take the America First agenda to the next level, and that will take a different generation does it. I repeat, that does it for the second Republican primary debate live from the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. Thank you to all the candidates. We've loved having you here tonight, and we will see you out on the campaign trail. Have a great evening. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Good night. What a notice. And so went the second Republican primary debate. I seriously underestimated what a bear this would be to put together. I had to pull an all-nighter, and I'm still late dropping the episode, which drives me crazy. I apologize. But it was worth it to me, and I hope you found it useful. I am going to sleep now. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.